0: It's time to talk U.K. sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats.
1: Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to our Wednesday edition of the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington Retail Stores, opening in Kentucky uh, with precautions uh, today. So hopefully all goes well with that as we continue to to move forward. Coming up on the show today, Tim Brando from Fox Sports, Chris Fisher from the Cat's Paws, And Evan Daniels from 24-7 Sports with uh, a great story about uh, John Wall from an interview he did with the former Wildcats star. So um, we'll talk about all of that with our lineup of guests today. Let's get right to the Wildcat news of the day. It is a service of Cardinal Point Financial Group. It's a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. And we will uh, start with a little uh, football news as the uh, Wildcats are slated or are, not slated, are likely to get a commitment today. Uh, defensive back Jordan Lovett from North Harden is going to announce his college choice uh, a little later today. Uh, he has... and. and Most expect him to pick Kentucky. He has one former teammate uh, already on the squad here. A current U.K. uh, commit is on his North Harden team. And a lot of signs pointing to Jordan Lovett joining the family at the University of Kentucky. So we'll see about that as we move through the day. There are reports uh, from several sources that the Kentucky-Michigan basketball series is going to be pushed back. The game in London would reportedly... Not happen until December of 2022. December of 2021, Kentucky would play Michigan in Ann Arbor. And December of 2023, the Wolverines would play the Wildcats in Rupp Arena. So if that is proves true, then Kentucky would be looking to add another non-conference game for this upcoming season. Uh, Belmont Stakes has been moved to June 20th. Uh, without fans at Belmont Park in New York, where they're slated to resume racing uh, early next month. The race will be contested at a mile and an eighth instead of a mile and a half, which means it'll be a one-turn race at beautiful, huge Belmont Park. Uh, it's, a, I think, a business decision uh, because if they had put the Belmont in its normal slot after the Preakness, that would have been... Sometime in late October, and with Breeders' Cup Classic on the first weekend in November and other Breeders' Cup races, it would have, um, you know, the top three-year-olds would have likely pointed to the Classic instead of the Belmont Stakes, unless the, the one exception would have been if, the, if you had a horse going for a triple crown, uh, likely would have stayed in the Belmont. And then other races, the other stakes races, they would put around the Belmont Stakes and um, those horses um, that might run in there would likely be going to the Breeders' Cup instead. So from a business standpoint, this was really about their, their best option somewhere in the latter part of June because in the uh, middle part of, of July, the racing shifts from Belmont up to Saratoga. Um, so if you have a horse that wins all three races this year uh, with the Belmont at a mile and an eighth and with uh, the uh, greatest Gap ever, I guess, in the between the three races, uh, that would be a uh, you know, a huge asterisk uh, in the record books for any horse that would win all three races. Essentially, the the Belmont uh, becomes a prep for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, so I think it's uh, all of this only serves to heighten the the uh, impact of a Kentucky Derby victory for any horse and uh, the human connections that go with it, and. Um, the uh, early line early indications are it looks like it could be a really good field for the Belmont Stakes Tis the Law Florida Derby winners pointing for the, for the Belmont uh, Bob Baffert uh, said yesterday that he'd likely send Charlatan and Nadal now I wonder if that could change one of the, instead of running both of those in the Belmont Stakes if he might wait and run one of them in the Bluegrass Stakes at Keeneland if that comes about Keeneland's hoping to be able to uh, run a meet sometime in July so we'll see how all of that plays out but for now we do know the, uh, the dates for all three of the Triple Crown races. Links to the stories that we talk about each day, you can find those on the Bud Light Leach Report page at tomleechky.com. We're heading to a break. When we come back, we'll check in with Tim Brando of Fox Sports and his take on the, the college sports scene and more. It's the Leach Report Radio Network, and we are served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington.
2: Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Quarter past the top of the hour on this Wednesday edition of the Leach Report. Uh, see an item from an NBA reporter uh, for ESPN. This is retreated by uh, Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, it says all 30 NBA teams are expected to participate in a coronavirus antibody study spearheaded by the Timberwolves. Uh, researchers hope the results offer a better understanding of the spread of the disease in the league and society. So hopefully that's something that uh, that moves us forward. I was just reading a story about this uh, during the break, and uh, the T-Wolves president and the team doctor that are uh, leading this effort for the NBA, um, uh, it Part of it uh, stems from their connection with Carl Anthony Towns and his family. And, of course, Carl tragically lost his mom to uh, COVID-19 back in April. Tim Brando joins us now on the com hotline. How are you handling the uh, lockdown phase of your life there, Mr. Timmy B?
2: Tom, I'm doing the best I can, dumping a lot of Home Depot miracle Grow in the backyard and <laughs> helping the wife as much as I can. <laughs>
1: yeah, we... we I, uh, we did a little of that, borrowed a power washer from a friend, did a little power washing over the weekend.
2: The moment they named Home Depot as an essential, I knew what was lying ahead for me at this time of year. But uh, I haven't played a, a round of golf yet, which is that's probably the big shocker to people that know me well. I'm an avid golfer, live on a golf course in Louisiana. and uh, But I was in New York. I was at the Big East Tournament. You know, when the day uh, sports stopped on March the 12th, in fact, we were the last game going. Uh, We were called at halftime of the uh, Creighton-St. John's game, and um, we were the part of a a news story. In fact, before I got out of uh, uh, the Garden parking lot, uh, I was being called by my friend Bill Hemmer over at Fox News to come over because it was news that we were the last game going, and you know, the SEC had pulled their players off the floor. Same had happened in Greensboro and in Indianapolis at the Big Ten. And Val Ackerman kept it going for a half. And I think the combination of uh, the news breaking the way it did and then the optics didn't look very good. They, uh, they well, I, How many of us knew then that we would be where we are now? I mean, we've, yeah. we've learned a lot since then. and uh, And I guess we'll still learn between now and the presumed start of the college football season.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and that's where we'll go next. I mean, none of us are medical experts, so we're just we, – we read, we talk to people, we, um, you know, and yeah. you kind of uh, make uh, – we, we discuss it in the context of what we know at the time, which I always say can, can change from week to week. But with all those parameters, uh, do you feel, feel like you'll be working college football come September?
2: I do. I do. Uh, now, September's loose. Okay, when in September might be uh, up for debate, but I do think that, um, but it is interesting, isn't it? Because now you're seeing some schools talking about the potential of starting the fall semester early. It's almost as if now there's some conversation that we don't know about based on a potential second wave and that Mm -hmm. you might want to get it in early and get people out of school, you know, in November, not take the fall break. All these things that, that are out there. I guess that's part of it, and there are so many leaks now with social media. It's hard to keep things uh, under hat. But based on the people that I just talked to, okay, and that's commissioners, athletic directors, and coaches. And I've talked to more commissioners and ads recently than I have coaches. And they're the really, the, 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 I think they're the ones that really are going to make these decisions. The coaches are more concerned about. Their players, getting their players in and player safety, what their players are up to, and conducting, you know, whatever conversations they can with them on Zoom if they can, you know. And I think that um, by and large, everyone is on go for now, for September the fifth, and uh, and I'm talking full schedules now. The, the 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 West is a little different story, you know. Predicting what's going on out there, particularly in the Pac-12. Uh, is a little bit more uh, difficult task. But um, certainly east of the Mississippi, and I would say the big 12 is pretty solid too across the board about how they feel because I've talked to some of their people as well. Um, right now it's on go for September 5. And with the potential of players coming into camp as early as uh, June 1st or 15th, if you're in the SEC in the Big 12, uh i think the potential of getting those guys in there by that time is is real we'll find out i guess on friday from what i'm understanding tom a lot more will become clear on friday of this week uh, about you know decisions firm decisions being made uh, to do it and um look uh things can change without a doubt you know uh if 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 we see a spike in too many different places we may but for the moment uh, I feel somewhat optimistic.
1: You think you'll be doing games from a studio or at a stadium to start? <laughs> That's
2: a great question. And um, after what uh, our folks at NASCAR did this past week, <clears throat> I think there's a potential of um, that being used as a blueprint. And, and here's why I say it. I, every every game that is broadcast is its own Entity in terms of the physical nature of what you have to do. Getting your trucks, your uplinks, everything in, in place to, to, to broadcast a game. Uh, at Fox, we have uh, the most inventory of any network other than ESPN, which has an inventory probably twice the size of ours. Okay, That's a lot of games. That is a lot of games. Uh, usually three games on Fox uh, each week and, and maybe as many as four uh on F S one every week. Every now and then F S two may have a game. Uh our deals are with the Big Ten, the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve in college football. So at different hours of the day. Uh the infrastructure of uh of being able to do games from a studio, uh whether it's in Charlotte or Los Angeles, um from a technological standpoint can it be done yes but how many can you do that's another question how many can you actually do from that location Um, they do have the blueprint for it because of the way they've handled world cup soccer through the years Um, in in world cup soccer they would have one broadcast team actually on site the others would all be out in los angeles Um, that's a great question i will tell you that everything's on the table for the teams you know, and the potential of the start of the college football season, I think for those of us in the broadcasting business, everything's on the table too in terms of the way we're going to do it. Um, the first and foremost thing that could be done, Tom, is uh, trying to schedule the the broadcast units for wherever they they live, where what's closest to them. You know, trying to keep people out of airplanes as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I think is. Something that's being discussed—the use of plexiglass <laughs> uh, in the booth. If we if we do go to the booth, how do we establish uh, social distancing? All right, uh, I think you you do through maybe having plexiglass between the, the color analyst and the broadcaster and the and and the people that are working by you. You know, a spotter needs to be somewhat near you. You know, when you're broadcasting a game, uh, those are all things we have to think about. Production trucks—if you've ever been inside one of them. Are, I mean, those guys, the producer, director, the associate director, production assistants, they're stacked, they're stacked in there like sardines. Yep. So it may take two trucks per broadcast, which is also going to be costly for the network. So they are looking at everything and, uh, and talking about things that are way outside my pay grade that I don't completely <laughs> comprehend. Uh, the, the, these Korean baseball games that you're seeing ESPN's announcers do from their home. That may even be on the table. You know, it 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 will not be like past years, okay? I think we all have to understand that this won't be a normal season, uh, either in the way we broadcast it or maybe what we see, okay, as viewers. For fans, uh, how many fans will be in the stands, how many will be allowed. You know, all those decisions have to be made by the administrators. And I think everything's on the table and will be up until toe meets leather. But I do think toe will meet leather.
1: Talking with Tim Brando, Fox Sports. We'll take a quick break and uh, get one more segment in before the bottom of the hour with Timmy B. from uh, the Leach Report Radio Network. We'll be right back.
2: It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com.
1: It's so the Wednesday edition of our show. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Tim Brando from Fox Sports is on the line with us. Uh, Tim, we're, a lot of us are watching old games. I think it was last weekend I watched a little bit of the 79 World Series, uh, Pirates and, and Orioles. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've got it actually on tape, I haven't watched yet, the uh, ESPN. Replayed a 1984 game in which Michael Jordan was matched up against Lynn Bias in a North Carolina Maryland game. So those have been yeah. fun to to do. I'm curious in in watching these. Uh, who influenced you as a young broadcaster coming up that you listened to and uh, or maybe uh, got advice from or whatever?
2: There are many of them, Tom. I mean, I, I I try my best now to mentor young broadcasters as much as possible, and I've actually seen a few of them rise to levels where they may one day be the reason for me being shown the door. (laughs) I mean, they're really good, (laughs) a lot of these young guys that are coming up. And ladies, a lot of great young female broadcasters coming up today as well. Um, Kurt Gowdy was my hero, absolute my hero. I had a younger brother, Kurt, that I named after Kurt Gowdy. That's how much he meant to me. Uh, A typical Catholic family of the 60s had an older sister. Uh, I was nine years old. Uh, then we had we had another child. Uh, then I was 12 years old. And oh, by the way, we had another child. And uh, that one was a surprise. So mom and dad said, um, if the baby were a girl, my older sister would get to name it. If it were a boy, I got to name it. So it was a boy. And I named him Kurt. After <laughs> We had to come up with another saint's name for the christening because <laughs> Kurt was a saint to me, but not to <laughs> Catholic Church. So But, uh, but Gowdy, I later met in New Orleans. Uh, interestingly, you mentioned Jordan. I was working in in New Orleans at WGSO Radio doing a talk show. I left Baton Rouge for, um, for that job in New Orleans to do a nightly talk show. And, um, thinking this was a, you know, it was the the station that had the Saints games up until that point. And, uh, thrilled to have it. And Gowdy's coming in to do the, The final four with Kaywood Ledford on Westwood One Radio. The great Kaywood Ledford was going to be calling the national championship for what was CBS radio that I think they called Westwood back then. And, um, Gowdy was going to be his color analyst and handle the pregame.
1: I'll be your producer here real quick, about 45 seconds here, Timmy.
2: He was doing American Sportsman at the time. And, uh, they had me come, they, they, so I got to meet him. And he had already heard some of my tapes. We had breakfast at the Hyatt. Long story short, he became a mentor for life, and we stayed in touch. And at every Final Four, we had Saturday morning breakfast on the day of the semifinals until the oh, day he died. He was a wonderful, what wonderful a man.
1: What a, yeah. Uh, what a treat. Uh, yeah, he's, he's kind of a guy that, as I was growing up watching games, uh, you know, watched. Uh, I mean, he goes back, you know, the Super Bowls and uh, oh, World Series. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no one he, was
2: bigger than Gowdy If you were, if no. you're our age, if you're over sixty, and you grew up in the TV generation, he was doing it all. Final Four, World Series, Super Bowls, everything.
1: Tim, this was fun. I got to hit the hard break at the bottom of the hour. I'm going to be a holler at you as we get closer to a presumed start of football. We'll talk again. Thank you, sir.
2: Let's well, hope so, Tom. Take
1: care, buddy. You too, Tim Brando. Fox Sports. Uh, we'll be right back with Chris Fisher from the Catspaws on the Leach Report.
2: This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter.
1: It's at Tom
3: Leach, KY.
1: Chris Fisher joins us from CatsPaws.com, and they're part of the 24-7 network. And Chris joining us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. 24-7 came out yesterday with their final rankings of the incoming class of college basketball recruits and Two Kentucky players in the top ten. Kentucky had the overall number one class for. Was this the seventh time in Cal's twelve years, Chris? Correct. Yeah. And uh, but first time since twenty fifteen, it said so.
3: Yeah, it's um, in some ways it's it's a, a class of, of firsts uh, for for John Calipari. You have your highest rank. Signee in B.J. Boston since and in, in 2015. Like you said, you have your first number one class since 2015. You have your first uh, pair of top ten signees since De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo in 2016. But oddly enough, the, the the first number one class in five years, but the first time in John Calipari's time at Kentucky that he hasn't signed three, at least three twenty-four-seven uh, sports composite five-star prospects, which is just a, an insane number, and really goes to show you the uh, unprecedented amount of, of recruiting success that that he's had at Kentucky.
1: Uh, the um, news came out uh, that we saw. I think a video, and Kyle Tucker has a story at the Athletic about. Uh, Devin Askew was working out with Darren Collison and then B.J. Boston lives out there in Southern California, so they included him. Uh, and then uh, now Terrence Clark has joined them, so that's a significant development given our current times that those three guys can find a way to work out together ahead of arriving at Kentucky.
3: Yeah, absolutely, especially when you consider uh, you know, the the uncertainty uh, as to when these guys will arrive on campus. And, and with playing so many young guys it's every day matters uh for those guys to be together to play together to start to gel to start to build some chemistry every day matters and for Kentucky's three highest rated signees to be working out together uh during this time especially with a a 10-year NBA veteran a a former All-American at UCLA and Darren Collison is a big deal and uh like I said, those guys will. They need every bit of of you know of chances that they can uh, to to play together and to get comfortable with each other, especially with uh, this upcoming Kentucky team that will rely so heavily on freshmen.
1: And from what I've read, it's Askew that initiated this, which is the kind of mindset you want to see from a guy that you want to be your point guard.
3: Yeah, I think uh, Devin Askew. He's originally from. Sacramento moved to to Southern California to, to play at, at Modern Day and um, has been working out with with Eric, Darren Collison for some time and, and linked up with with BJ Boston and yeah for them to to get Terrence Clark out there who's you know from Boston attended school on the East Coast uh, is a is a big deal.
1: Chris Fisher with us you can read him at catspaws.com on the web on Twitter it's at Chris Fisher twenty four seven kind of a funny. Funny slash somewhat interesting tale from DeAndre Williams, coach slash mentor slash whatever other phrase you want to use in uh, an interview uh, that he did in Memphis uh, in the wake of uh, Williams' commitment. Uh, You tweeted that uh, if they were looking to convince folks that Kentucky didn't back off late in the recruitment of Williams or at least had some reservations, this had the opposite effect. I would agree with that.
3: Yeah, it just uh, – it, it it was a poor look, I think, on uh, his coach slash mentor. And, you know, normally in recruiting I go out of my way to avoid using the term handler. I think that's something that, you know, gets thrown uh, around in recruiting a lot. But, but that is exactly what his coach mentor is representing himself as. I mean – you know, making it sound like it's absurd that Kentucky tried to recruit DeAndre Williams by going directly to him or to his mother, and uh, as we've seen over the years in in recruiting, that's just not how John Calipari operates. And so, uh, seeing these comments, and uh, I think he had even hinted at uh, you know being unhappy with the fact that. Kentucky tried to circumvent him in the recruiting process maybe maybe there was a good reason for that but at the end of the day you know if if Memphis wants to celebrate a recruiting win let them and uh, you know I think as long as Olivier Saar receives a, a waiver to play next season I don't think he was necessarily a need I think you have Keon Brooks I think this could Add, could have a similar effect on Keon Brooks as missing carry, on Kerry Blackshear had on on Nick Richards. It led to a, a breakout season for him, and now Keon Brooks knows it's all on him. And you know maybe there's a little bit of, of pressure that's off him, knowing that you know DeAndre Williams won't be uh, looking over his shoulder.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, makes a lot of sense. Brooks is a is guy who you don't know what you're going to get, but um, you know the the last glimpse we saw of him uh, was certainly very uh, encouraging and everything you you read uh, from him or I guess his, his, his dad's done some interviews um, everything is, is exactly striking the right tone
3: yeah and like you said I think Keon Brooks was playing his best basketball toward the end of the season and you know with Nate Sestina and EJ Montgomery and, and Nick Richards didn't always get a chance to showcase his full repertoire. I think he's much more skilled uh than we were able to see this season. It just seemed like a lot of times he was kind of stuck in no man's land uh, when he was on the floor. He wasn't really on the perimeter, but he wasn't in the post. But he's a guy that I think can operate from pretty much – anywhere on the floor he can work from that short corner he can play the high post uh, as we saw in the Florida game he can shoot from the perimeter I don't think he ever really got into a shooting rhythm over the course of of the season you look at his length defensively and his versatility defensively I just think uh, you look at all of those things with a more of an opportunity to contribute I just think he's he's poised to, to make a big leap.
1: Recruiting is certainly affected with these current odd times that we're in, um, and uh, Kentucky's doing a a virtual uh, visit, I guess, with a uh, five star recruit in the sophomore class, right?
3: Right, uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield. He's a guy that Kentucky has been very involved with uh, over the last year or so, and normally this would be the the time of year that we really start getting acquainted with uh, the next class. Now that the the twenty twenty class is pretty much set in stone you would be looking forward to to 2021 and learning those names but obviously with no travel basketball that isn't really the case but Kentucky's still doing their best to uh to keep in contact with these guys and continue to to lay that foundation uh going into the the 2021 class and Brandon Huntley Hatfield is is certainly I think an eye uh, a name for for Kentucky fans to keep an eye on.
1: Chris Fisher, CatsPaws.com, uh, and at Chris twenty 247 on Twitter. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Heading to a break. It's 18 away from the top of the hour. Chris Fisher joining us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. And coming up next, Evan Daniels. It's the Leach Report on Talk
2: Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones.
1: Evan Daniels joins the program on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can read him at uh, 24-7 Sports and also the uh, uh, Sidelines podcast, Fox Sports College Basketball Insider. Did I catch them all, Evan?
0: You caught them all, Tom. I appreciate it, man. How are you?
1: Doing well. I want to talk first about a really interesting uh, interview uh, that uh, you did with John Wall, a former Kentucky star and uh, the uh, – most noteworthy thing i think that came out of that is that uh, there was a, a chance that he, he i guess the, to quickly frame up the story and you can take it from here he had visited kentucky when billy gillespie was here but didn't want to play for gillespie but when cal got the job uh he was all in on the knew about kentucky liked kentucky other than the coach so once cal became the coach there he was all in on coming to kentucky until he played in an all-star game with xavier henry
0: <laughs> yeah i guess he went to the nike hoop summit it's honestly you know i've I covered John um, throughout high school and, uh, and that whole class. Um, it was actually more towards the beginning part portion of, of my career in this field. Um, and I'd, I'd never heard the story before. Um, and he went to the Nike Hoop Summit, played with Xavier Henry, and, and uh, I actually went back and looked at some of the statistics from that game. And I, I guess during practice and during that game, uh, John thought he was – uh, he didn't use the word selfish, but just said that he didn't think he would, um, he could handle not getting shots. And, uh, John went back to, uh, Calipari and, and said, Hey, I want to come to Kentucky, but if you take Xavier Henry, then, then I'm going elsewhere. And Miami was the, the number two school on his list. And he said that's where, you know, he would have ended up if, if, uh, if Xavier Henry had ended up at, at Kentucky
1: couple of interesting things out of this uh, for me and you can expand on them one shows a lot of maturity at that age for john wall to to recognize that and he told you about you know look he said look what he's what john said to cal is like look uh demarcus bledsoe and uh, myself we're committed to sacrificing and if this guy's not going to do that we don't want to uh, or he, at least for John's part, I don't want to be a part of that. And then the other thing is Cal was smart enough to uh, to uh, act on that.
0: Yeah, and it, what's interesting about it is Xavier was actually committed to him at Memphis, mm-hmm. so it was right during the transition when Calipari was going from Memphis to Kentucky, trying to figure out who he was going to um, recruit. Would that commitment carry over to Kentucky? Obviously, Xavier ended up at, at Kansas. Um, but it, it was pretty clear that, that John and and DeMarcus Cousins and some of those guys were were on the same page and, and weren't sure that they could make it work with, with that particular guy. It was kind of a fascinating story.
1: Yeah, and I uh, saw so in preparing for our, our interview, I was looking at some of your tweets and uh, and one of them, you you, talk, uh, you referenced John Wall as arguably the most important player of the John Calipari era, and I think that's very much true, And that you know, much like with Mashburn and Patino, uh, a similar, similar thing could have been said, and if Mash had not made the decision to come here, Patino would eventually have, have gotten it on track, it just wouldn't have happened nearly as fast, and... Possibly the same thing with with Cal. He would have gotten it uh, rolling here, but it might have taken a little longer if John Wall elects not to come, and then maybe somebody else doesn't, and you don't uh, have the success in twenty ten, and you don't go to the you know the, the final fours that uh, that followed because all of that recruiting didn't fall in line from the first piece of the puzzle, John Wall.
0: Right. You, you know, it's it's interesting because I was talking to my editor about this when was getting ready to put the story out. And he questioned me on that line and said, well, you know, wouldn't this be Anthony Davis? And I can totally see people going for that and that making some sense. Um, and maybe Anthony Davis is the best prospect to play at Kentucky. Um, but I think the reason I think John was the most important was because John made it cool again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Gillespie era didn't go uh, as fans planned. And um, John – revitalized the program with ex- his exciting play and it was just a much he was, was just a dominant exciting dynamic player um that really brought uh, a lot of fun and joy to the game of basketball and and i, I agree with what you said I, I i um i think the reason that he's the most important player is because he was he was the guy that that Jumped at the opportunity and and kind of made it cool to go to Kentucky again, and and obviously you could put DeMarcus Cousins in that same category because if he doesn't go to Kentucky with Wall, they probably don't have the success they did that year. But uh, that was a fun team to watch. Uh,
1: What else was particularly noteworthy out of your chat with John Wall?
0: You know, honestly, Tommy, he was so open and uh, honest, um, and we talked and touched on. So many different topics. Look, John just loves ball. And, um, I mean, we, we talked about right now he's trying to uh, get back to the NBA and, and recover from injury. He's, he's doing a lot of biking. He told me the day that we talked, which I think was Sunday or Saturday, he had biked all around the city at D.C. Uh, so he's doing a lot of biking. Um, but uh, it, there was a lot of uh, interesting Anecdotes in there we talked a little bit about him getting cut from his high school team uh, and what went into that and, and then now he holds a holiday tournament at the high school that he was cut at um, which is a pretty unique story we talked a little bit about John Calipari and, and why elite players uh, want to play for him and, and basically just said that he's real and, and that was a big portion of of why people want to play for him and he talked a little bit about their relationship to this day uh, he talked a little bit about Michael Jordan, um, said he thought he was the GOAT. Um, we went through a wide range of topics. It's, it was a, a really fun interview, I'll be honest, Tom. It's one of the more fun and, and better interviews that I've ever done.
1: Uh, where can folks find it?
0: Uh, you can find it over on 24-7 Sports. Uh, it, I have it linked on my Twitter page as well. I'll be sending out a couple more links today. Uh, I'll have a little clip on Um, his just feeling like he has a lot to prove. Uh, And he seems, through our conversation, Tom, he seems really hungry to get back on the court where he said he thinks he might be the most healthy he's been his entire career. Uh, But yeah, you can find all that over on 24-7. The full interview is actually on the 24-7 Sports YouTube page. Uh, So you can slide over there and watch the whole thing. It's about 27, 28 minutes.
1: It looked like he was poised to maybe have that breakout uh, time in the NBA a few years ago and then he's been hit with so many injuries it looked like the it was one year the wizards i want to say got to maybe the uh semifinals the eastern conference or something and he was leading the way with beal and uh it's a shame yeah. that he's been hurt as much as he has
0: you know it's it's crazy though like he still had five nba all-stars appearances and one of the things john and i talked about was he's been out of high school now for 11 years and the nba for 10 i mean it seems like time just flew by yeah um but yeah, I mean, I, he he thinks that he's as healthy as he ever's been, and he said he's been working, spending a lot of time on his jump shot, and that's going to be the most improved portion of his game. Uh, so, uh, once basketball finally starts up again, maybe we'll see that. We
1: well, think basketball. What do you think life after basketball will be like for him? Because from um, you know money perspective, he doesn't you know need to go into coaching or broadcasting or anything. But uh, as you said, he loves the game.
0: Well, I actually, that's how I closed the interview. I asked him that, that exact question, Tom. I don't know if you watched it, but he, he mentioned that he would like to get into coaching or, or be a GM one day. Uh, look, anybody that knows John knows that he's extremely passionate about basketball. Uh, I'll never forget this. He told me this like eight or nine years ago, and we talked about it in the interview, too. He, he told me uh, he's got three TVs at his place, and he literally DVRs every game that comes on television, whether that be high school, or college, or NBA. He tries the DVR, just about everything, and I mean, he just consumes it. He is he is consumed with hoops. That's his passion. Uh, it's part of why he turned out to be such a good player. Um, just he, he loves the game so much.
1: Evan Daniels, twenty four seven sports, uh, and uh, it's at Evan Daniels on Twitter. And you can find the link to the uh, great great interview with John Wall. Thank you, sir, for your time. Have a good day. Hey, thanks for having me. You too. Seven Evan Daniels. We'll wrap up this edition of the Leach Report, and we come right back. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Stay in uh, Wildcat history, just a birthday to pass along. Ennis Cantor celebrating a birthday today. Uh, Nicole Auerbach has a, a story in The Athletic that says uh, as early as today, an NCAA uh, council may uh, make the decision to uh, end the moratorium uh, at, for the end of this month on on-campus activities uh, for their member schools. Um, and if that happens, uh, then the SEC, according to her story, is expected to vote on uh, Friday on when to allow athletes back on campus. And my um, guess would be it will either be the 1st of June or the middle of June. So we'll see uh, next few days here. Uh, Tim Brando said maybe uh, Friday was a uh, decision moment that uh, he was hearing as well. So before the week is out, we'll uh, learn a little bit more about all of this. Guests on the show come to you from the via the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. KentuckyHempWorks.com. Check it out. They're more than just CBD you now You can get products to help you catch more fish that are made entirely from hemp seeds, hemp root salve for those sore muscles. But uh, if you've got some aches and pains, uh, maybe having a little trouble sleeping, you can try their CBD oil. And you can go to their YouTube channel and type hemp homeschool into the search box, and you'll find videos from Kentucky Hemp Works on their operation. That is family-run Thanks at Kentucky Proud. We'll see you tomorrow on, Leech on the Leach Report. Report. Make sure you
3: check out the podcast page at tomleachky.com whenever you miss a show and be sure
0: to follow the Leech Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to
2: leechreport at gmail.com. See you next time right here on the Leech Report.